Welcome to Outreach Church. Thanks for checking out this week's message. To hear more, subscribe to our podcast on iTunes or visit outreachchurch.net for downloads and service information. I just want to say thank you to everyone who came forward for that or if you didn't come forward. And I know a lot of you that come here pray for this church. And I just ask that you continue to pray. Um, you know, something I'd love all of us to be praying and asking God for is just vision for this church. And I don't mean like vision for, for me or for the board or for the worship team, for all of us to have a vision for this church that's God's vision. Um, we'll take up our offering in one second, but um, I went this, this week down to Augusta National for the Masters tournament. It's the first time I'd ever gone. I've watched it my whole life on TV, and a, a friend took me down there, and, and it was an awesome time, but one thing I noticed as I walked around the grounds of that place was there was not one weed on the property. I mean, when they do like a flyover shot, it looks like something that's anim- computer animated because it's so perfect, and then you realize when you see a magnolia tree blowing a little bit, you're like, oh, wait a minute, that's real life. And then when you're there looking at it, and, and, um, and I was talking to a friend of mine, I said, I, I think you'd appreciate, even if you're not a golfer, with proper stewardship, what creation can look like. And it was awesome to see that. And then I, last night I was in my yard, and I looked around, and I got really convicted. <laughs> no, but I did. Not that I have the money, time, or expertise to make my yard look like Augusta National, but I do have the time to steward it well. And I started thinking about, like, I really value stewarding the revelation God gives me. And I, and, and I value stewarding my wife and my children and all the blessings that I have. But I really believe He wants us to steward everything in our lives well, to the best of our abilities. And, um, and I'd love to challenge everyone who comes here that calls this church home to be praying and asking God, what does it look like for me to steward this church family that you've given me? What is my part in stewarding what you're doing in people's lives and what you're doing in this house? Give me a vision for it, God. Where, where do I fit in this, in this beautiful picture that you're painting of, of a church body family? What, where do I fit in and what is my part in stewarding this? Because the truth of the matter is, is this, this belongs to all of us. It's not mine. It's not the worship teams or certain people. It's everybody's. And what God wants to do here has to involve everybody. He wouldn't have called you here if you weren't important. And then it really doesn't matter. And I know people hear this and they think, well, you know, I'm just saying it doesn't matter what He's called you to. There's some part that you play in stewarding well what God's doing in this place. And just be praying and asking Him, what's my part? What have you called me here for? So you didn't call me just to come and receive. It's awesome to come and receive, but also at some point there has to be an outpouring or you become stagnant. There's this freely you've received, now freely give. God, what does it look like for me to give freely? What's my part? And I just ask you guys just to be praying for that. God, give me vision for this place. Give me vision for this body, for these people, for this church, for, for what you're doing in our city, what you're doing in our church, and what you want to do. And Show me my part. Show me what I'm supposed to be doing, God. Show me if you've called me to be radically obedient to you. What are you asking me to be obedient to? 
What is it that you're calling me to say yes to? Some of us feel like, you know, in our lives, we, like we, we say we've just wrote a blank check yes to God and now we're just waiting to hear, but, but it doesn't stay blank forever. There's always things that he comes along and says, okay, this is what I want you to say yes to. This is what I'm calling you to. And so just in your alone time, in your quiet time, ask him and just, just believe that he'll speak to you and start asking him, God, what is it that you want me to say yes to? And specifically when it, when it comes to this church, I mean, you look around your yard and let it convict you if it convicts you like it did me, but but with everything, just ask him, God, what, is, what does it look like to steward well this body of people that you've called me to be family with? So God, I just thank you for that. I thank you that you would, within each of us, you would raise up the idea of stewardship. Um, God, with everything that you've given us, God, but, but particularly I'm asking right now just for a grace and a joy on our lives, sir, what does it look like to steward a family of God? That if you've asked me to be a wise steward, God, you've asked me to, to, to make the best use possible of who you've created me to be and the talents you've given me. What does that look like in the context of church? And I just believe that he'll speak. And I thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen. I really do believe that. I believe he's going he's gonna to speak to us. And then we just, the, the awesome thing is, it's like if he wants us to be obedient, he'll give us something to be obedient to. If to say, well done, good and faithful servant, I mean, there's something you did. Right? And it, and, and it may not like, look like the voice of God saying, you know, speaking directly to you, but he'll put things in your heart. He said, I'll give you the desires of your heart. Not meaning like, if you want something, I'll give it to you. Meaning, I'll actually put the desires that you have in your heart there. They'll be from me. If you make your delight in me, you'll find that all of a sudden I've worked my way into your heart. And now the things that you desire are actually desires that I gave you. I've given you the desires of your heart. So it's not this constant war in us of what I want versus what God wants. It's me surrendering and yielding to Him and becoming so fully in love with Him that what He wants actually becomes what I want. Yeah. You know, and, and, and I, honestly, because I, I believe like He'll use a Jonah, but I think He wants people who aren't running the opposite direction, but people who actually are saying, yes, Lord, I hear what you're calling me to, and I want that. Like, it excites me. And sometimes if we're not careful, we have this idea in Christianity of like, well, if I have ambitions, that's bad. No, it's an amazing thing to have ambition in the Lord. It just can't be the thing that motivates everything that you do and causes you to do things when it looks like one thing when you really have another angle the other way. That's when ambition gets twisted. It means I trust me and my ability to get me somewhere more than I trust him and his ability for me to get where he wants me to be. But there's nothing wrong with saying, I feel like God's placed these things in me and I have desires to do these things. In fact, if, we are, if the Bible is to be believed, that for every believer there should be things in your heart that you desire that He put there. And He doesn't want a bunch of Jonas. I mean, He'll send a whale if He has to, but I believe He wants people who say, here, my Lord, send me. Not, let me get on a boat and go away because I don't like those people and I'm afraid of what you're going to do if I go there. Anyway, someone needed to hear that. Um, we're going to take up our offering right now. Uh, this is, the, if you've never been here, have anybody here very first time coming to Outreach Church? Yeah, awesome. Thank you guys so much for coming here. You, yeah. There is a card in the seat back in front of you. If you'd fill that out and, and stick it in one of the boxes by the exit doors on your way out or just leave it on your seat back. Um, I promise nothing weird. It, we will do anything. We will only do what you ask. So if you say you don't want to be contacted or you don't put an email address or anything like that, we won't send you an email. But we want to make sure that if you have a need that we could help meet, you know, whether it's prayer or, or ministry of any type, that we can help you. 
Um, and we'd also like to have a record of you coming just so that we get to know you. If you stick around, we can actually find out who you are and get to know you. So if you'd fill that out. Um, but if it's your first time here or you haven't come one of the times that I've said this, which is like every other Sunday, um, the policy that we have here when it comes to giving is, is first of all, we want to be obedient. So if right now the Lord's speaking something to you to give, like make sure you do that because that's an obedience thing. But but even beyond that, just with our lives, we seek to live in a way where our hands are always open to God. Fully believing that, that you know, there is a chance that if I was to close my hand around this pen and grip it as tightly as possible, that you couldn't take it from me. And that is a very real chance. So you can't even see the pen. There's a chance that I might be stronger than you and I might be strong enough to hold on to this thing. But in doing so, I've also closed my hands to be able to receive anything that you might want to give me. And I can hold on to that as tightly as I want to. And I can keep that, but that's where it ends. Or I could live with my hands open saying, Lord, all that I have is yours. If there's anything in my life that you want from me, whether it's my time, the gifting and talents that you've placed within me, uh, relationships, God, there's nothing that I hold on to more tightly than I want to be able to receive from you. So Lord, everything I have is yours. Take anything that you want. I'll do whatever you ask. And I also posture myself in doing so to receive all that he wants me to have. So God, I just thank you that we live our lives with hands open before you. God, that everything we have comes from you. And we, we understand that. Not only that, but we are thankful for it, God. We believe that every good and perfect gift comes from you, the Father of lights, in whom there is no shadow of turning. You're never going to change. You're always going to give good gifts to your children. You said that if we being evil know how to give good gifts to our children, how much more do you? And so Father, we just ask, that everything that's in our lives would be surrendered and yielded to you. We ask that you would bless as we give our tithes and our offerings, that these first fruits we offer up, God, would be blessed and multiplied, that we would always have more than enough to meet every need that you call us to meet. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Um, we'll do this. We haven't done this in a little while, but would you just stand up right where you are, believing fully that the Holy Spirit lives and dwells inside of you, and look around real quickly. And find somebody maybe that you don't know, if possible, and greet them and thank them for coming. And also, if there's anything the Lord wants you to speak or say to them, go ahead and be obedient to that. All right. All right. Well, welcome. And thank you all so much for coming out. Um, we started a few, a few weeks ago a series and um, talking about the gifts of the Spirit, and we're going to continue on today, and we're going to be talking about something that, depending on the way that you were raised, and depending on what denomination you've belonged to, you probably have a very um, strong opinion, maybe, about what this is and how it works, but we're going to be talking about the baptism of the Holy Spirit today. Um, yep. If, th- if those words make you nervous, take heart. Jesus actually spoke those exact words. Yeah. He said, you will be baptized with the Holy, by the Holy Spirit, uh, with the Holy Spirit, sorry. Um, and I think sometimes what happens is we make this a thing where we, we put two things that are true against each other as if if one is true, then the other can't be. Um, so you have people who say, well, there can't be such thing as being as, as something you know, beyond what you receive when you're born again, because, you know, that in Corinthians, uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, in verse 12, Paul's writing, 
And he says, for even as the body is one, is, is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though they are many, are one body, so also is Christ. For by one Spirit we were all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, and we were all made to drink of one Spirit. So a lot of times what happens is if you talk about baptism of the Holy Spirit and, and all that, that 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 entails and the stuff we're going to be getting into, people say, well, 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 everybody who's born again has the Spirit of God in them. Because there's another place in Romans where Paul says that if someone does not have the Spirit of God, then he is not Christ's. And that's so true. Every one of us, when we're born again, was baptized into the body of Christ when we are water baptized. That we're, It's not a man baptizing us. We don't put our faith in man. It's not the man. It's actually the Spirit of God through a man. Just like when someone speaks on God's behalf, it's the Spirit of God through a man baptizing them into the body of Christ, and that they are then, it says, made to drink of one Spirit, so they're filled in, on the inside with His Spirit. And that's absolutely 100% true. And we can find the first, uh, I believe the first um, time that this happened in John chapter 20. If you have your Bibles, open up there. And so I want to just suggest to us that rather than it being an either-or, maybe it's a both-and. And that the, the enemy would love for us to get caught up in battles where we pick a side and say, it's all this or it's all that. And I believe the truth is that it's both. And I think that the Scripture proves that. And I'm going to try really hard today um, to just let the Word speak um, about, about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. So in John chapter 20, verse 19, uh, this is after Jesus has died. Now this is the penalty for sin has been paid. Uh, the payment was made. The blood has been sprinkled on the mercy seat. It, it there cries out forever for uh, mercy instead of judgment. The debt is paid. Jesus was alive, died on our behalf, was raised to life again. And now the new covenant is actually available on the earth to people who believe in Him. The new covenant that He said, I, this is, I came to bring this covenant. It's now available. And so the very first people, I believe, who, who received this actual born-again spirit uh, says in John chapter 20, verse 19, So when it was evening on that day, the first day of the week, and when the doors were shut where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood in their midst and said to them, Peace be with you. He's not giving us the spirit of fear. In fact, He says, do not fear. But He's also not repulsed by it. Sometimes in, 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 in people that, you know, when we put a high emphasis on faith, we have a very low, low opinion of fear, which is good, but sometimes we get a low opinion of ourselves anytime there's fear. We feel like, well, well Jesus must be repulsed. He's not repulsed by that. In fact, He was attracted to them even though they were huddled in their house for fear. So if you're feeling fearful, realize this. That's not His desire for you. He wants to come to you and bring you peace. And He will come if you want him to. Okay? So don't feel less than. Don't disqualify yourself. And don't feel like he's in heaven repulsed because you're having a fearful thought. Just realize there's a better thought that you could be having that takes the fear and drives it from you. Because he's not giving you a spirit of fear, but of love, power, and of a sound mind. A lot of times fear is just a lack of one of those three. Our mind is creating things that are not true. That's why it says, not fear, but of a sound mind. Why? Because when our mind is actually thinking correctly, when we're actually believing what He said and letting what He said 
letting his promises shape our view of who we are and of, of ourselves, our present circumstances, and of our future. When we have that sound mind, there's not really a lot of place for fear because anything that would cause fear is always counteracted by the promises of God and the presence of him. But sometimes it's a lack of love. Sometimes because we're not living and enjoying the love of God. We don't understand how much He loves us. It's hard for us to believe that He would actually do the things that He said He would do or that He actually sees us the way that the Word says He sees us. It's not because He's changed His mind or changed His opinion or has less of a desire to come and love us and be with us. It's because we don't understand or are not receiving or walking or living in the love of God. And sometimes it's because we think there's a lack of power. You ever feel like you were completely hopeless against something? Ever feel like that? That'll cause fear because you believe there's nothing that can be done. And the problem is is sometimes there is nothing that you can physically do, but that doesn't mean there's nothing that can be done. Because there's always a Spirit of God that's greater in you than anything that's in the world. And so if, if we're living in fear, a lot of times it's just because of lack of one of those three. Sometimes it's all three at the same time. Because we're not thinking correctly, we allow ourselves to become fearful. And because we don't understand and not receiving and walking in and believing in the love of God for us, we're actually walking in fear because of thoughts that our minds have created. And because of that, we believe there's a lack of power because we've disqualified ourselves because we're thinking wrong thoughts, which causes us to not live rightly, not believe rightly. And so that allows fear to come in. So he comes to them. Sorry. Uh, I don't know why I'm apologizing, but, but uh, <laughs> so he comes to them and says, peace be with you. As the Father sent me, I also send you. You realize he didn't disqualify them from going out and living the same way he lived because they were huddled in a house for fear of people. It says they were huddled in the house for fear of the Jews. The fear of man was rampant in them. You know, we, we make the fear of man cancer. And it is a cancer, but there's a cure. It's the presence of Jesus. It's the words of Jesus. Because what does He do? He doesn't just come and stand in their midst. He's not content with that. He actually comes and stands in their midst so they have His presence, and then He speaks so they have His voice. And if you have those two, suddenly the fear of man's gone. And He understands that. So He doesn't say, as the Father sent Me into the world, so I also send you, meaning this is how I'm going to send you. He's saying to them, Peace be with you. Now that you have my peace, as the Father sent me, I'm also going to send you. Was Jesus ever fearful? Not once. What's he saying? When you have me, when you have my presence, and you know my voice, you can go out into the world the same way I did. And now you go in peace. Come on. We would have made it through the first scripture of like 17. We're in trouble. As the Father sent me, I also send you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. So what is he doing? This is what I believe. Take this and do what you want with it. Um, But I'm right. (laughs) Be like Paul and say, I believe I have the Spirit on this. I, I, I believe this is true. I believe that the first Adam was born and that breath was breathed into his lungs by the Creator, by God. I believe that He surrendered that everlasting breath of life when He sinned and gave Himself over to the influence of another. 
That's what died in him. That's what was lost. That breath was exhaled from Adam. And now suddenly, instead of being immortal and living forever, he gave up that breath. And the ability to die came into his body. And I believe, this is the part where I can't prove it. That I think I can. But I believe that as he exhaled that breath, the Spirit of God was once again hovering this close to his face, just like he was when he breathed it in. And he received that breath back into him, the breath of life. And then when Jesus comes, the first Adam, he breathes him because he says that he actually formed him and created him and fathered him inside the womb of his mother. And once again, God took something that wasn't alive. It was missing a part that it needed. Just like when he formed Adam from dirt, Adam was fully formed, yet he was missing something he needed. And he breathed into him, and that's what brought him alive. I believe he took that egg. And rather than it being a male part, it was actually the breath that came into and entered in. And he once again breathed life into a man who was perfect. And then Jesus is born. He lives perfectly. And then on the cross, He takes our sin and becomes the sin of the world. He became your sin. He didn't just act like it. He didn't come and act sinful so you could act holy and act righteous. He became sin so that you could become righteous. The righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. It's very important we understand that. Because one is an act, the other is a becoming. One is something I have to maintain. The other is just who I am. And so on the cross, after he becomes sin, it says he exhaled his last. Once again, man because of sin, God becoming fully man because of sin, gives up the breath that causes everlasting life and the ability to die at that point enters into his body. And once again, the Spirit of God receives that breath. The breath of life. And this is what I think happened in the grave. I think that Jesus was in that grave and that same Holy Spirit came hovering once again over the lifeless form of a man. The second Adam. (laughs) And once again, He breathes that breath into the lungs of a lifeless form. And Jesus, with that same breath, that was always supposed to be in man that caused him to live forever becomes alive again and the grave can't hold him. Now he carries that same breath. He goes and finds his disciples who are dead in sin. Breathes that same very breath into them. And for the first time, man becomes born again. Come on, it makes sense. It's something like that. When we get to heaven, we're going to find out that I'm right. (laughs) Or that I was real close. (laughs) And with that breath, He breathes into them and it's the Spirit of God, which is life itself. Now they're born again. Now they will, even though they sleep, they will never die. And so they've received that. And then the very next thing he says to them, if we jump ahead to Acts chapter 1, 
Okay, come on. The, the very last thing, I'm sorry, he says to them, this is sometime after this. It says he was with them for 40 days now. This is when he first appeared to them. He breathes on them, says receive the Holy Spirit. So they have received the Spirit of God at this point. We're all real clear on that. Acts chapter 1, verse 3. Now to these he also presented himself alive after his suffering by many convincing proof, appearing to them over a period of 40 days. We just read about the first time he appeared to them over those 40 days. They received the Holy Spirit. And speaking things concerning the kingdom of God, gathering them together, he commanded them not to leave Jerusalem. Now, they were already gathered together in a home, so this is not before he came and breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. This is after that point. They're once again out doing the things he called them to do. He sent them out. They go out and they they heal the sick. They raise the dead. All these different things happen. And it says, once again, he gathered them all back together. Now, this time they're not gathering because of fear of man. This time they're gathering because of His voice. Because why? They've been born again. The Spirit of God now lives inside of them. Though they were once dead in their sins, they've now been made alive in Christ. And so when He gathers them this time, it's not because they're afraid of the Jews. In fact, I promise you this time, all of hell was terrified of them. And when they gathered together this time, Jesus says, it says He gathered them together Commanded them not to leave Jerusalem. Once again, they're gathered in Jerusalem. Once again, they're huddled together. But to wait for what the Father had promised, which He said, you heard from Me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Uh So wait a minute, they had already received the Holy Spirit when they were born again. But now they had to be baptized? By the Holy Spirit. And this is not some Pentecostal theologian. This is Jesus Christ. Amen. So, We all know what happens next in Acts chapter 2. They go together. It's about 120 of them. They gather together in an upper room. Not just the 12. Actually, 10 times to the 12. Gather together in the upper room. Men and women. And they, they wait there. And they pray. And the Holy Spirit comes like a rushing wind and fills the room and baptizes all of them with power. And flames, like little tongues, appear above them. And they begin to open their mouth and speak in other tongues as the Holy Spirit gave them utterance. And all the men who were gathered from various places because it was the week of Pentecost, because it was the Passover, heard them in their own language. And everything was changed. And nothing has been the same since. And it was never supposed to end. How do we take this and confuse this? But I mean, where do we even... I know what the definition of of that is, but I'm saying, where do we even find biblical basis... To say that, well, 
all that happens is when you get born again and everything that you need, you receive at that point and there's nothing else that ever happens. It wasn't true for the very first people. And as we're about to discover in the Bible, it wasn't true for hardly anybody after that. In fact, that was the exception, not the norm. That's not to say that you can't be baptized by the Holy Spirit's power the minute that you become born again. Here's the problem. The problem arises when we say, well, 1 Corinthians 12 says that if you're born again, you have him. Listen, and we make that oppose the baptism of the Holy Spirit as if the two are mutually exclusive one to the other. Rather than understanding that yes, that's true, and yes, this is true. And that it's not a one opposing the other, it's actually a both. Another thing that we do if we're not careful is we take that first experience of the disciples in the upper room and we make that the standard. And so we even have in some church circles, and this is not to knock it, I'm saying this is just the truth, and most of you have probably heard that, someone say, baptized with the Holy Spirit with the evidence of speaking in tongues. As if that's somewhere in the Bible. And as if the two have to always go hand in hand. And as if without the one, you didn't receive the other. Where do we get that from? Well, we get that when we make one experience the basis, the standard, and the exclusive experience for the theology that we carry. We're always so prone to do that because we want a formula. Because we want to have an answer that's so neat that if someone asks us, we can bring them to one place in the Bible and say, see, this is the answer. The problem is when we do that, we exclude so many other experiences, and a lot of times people feel less than because they haven't experienced exactly what we bring them to the Bible and say, this is what it looks like. And so they feel like there's something that they're missing or they're less than in the kingdom because when they got filled with the Spirit, it doesn't look like what you're telling them it has to when you get filled with the Spirit. All right, you guys ready to put your biblical track shoes on? Because we're going to go around the book of Acts. Uh, and, and a few other places. Acts chapter 8, verse 9. I want you to just, I, I want to make sure we're all on the same page. A- everything after that we're about to read is after Jesus has ascended to the throne. He's, a, he's sitting on the throne, and it's all new covenant, um, except for a couple of the examples we're going to give, which really blow holes in a lot of things. But anyways, we'll get to that. Acts chapter 8, verse 9. Now there was a man named Simon who, was formerly, who formerly was practicing magic in the city, and astonishing the people of Samaria, claiming to be someone great. And they all, from the smallest to greatest, were giving attention to him, saying, This man is what is called the great power of God. And they were giving him attention because he had for a long time astonished them with his magic arts. But when they believed Philip preaching the good news about the kingdom of God in the name of Jesus Christ, they were being baptized, men and women alike. Even Simon himself believed, and after being baptized, he continued on with Philip, and as he observed signs and great miracles taking place, he was constantly amazed. Now, when the apostles in Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent them Peter and John, who came down and prayed for them, that they might receive the Holy Spirit, for he had not yet fallen upon any of them. They had simply been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then they began laying their hands on them, and they were receiving the Holy Spirit. I think we can effectively do away with if you believe in Jesus and are baptized into His name, you've received everything there is to receive. 
I'm not saying you didn't. I'm just saying we can't make that a hard, fast rule because we would have to take this Scripture and toss it in the trash can as if it never happened. And we have to be really careful that in our search to have a neat, easy theology that we can present to people, that we don't disregard things that would disrupt our theology. We have to take the whole counsel of the Word of God and make sure that our theology is informed by that. And not just skip over parts that would poke a hole. It's just like for the people that say, well, God would never do this. You point to Herod being eaten by worms and being struck down by the angel of death in the new covenant. And you can point to Ananias and Sapphira in the new covenant and say, be real careful when you say God would never, unless you've got an explanation for those things. And I've seen some absolute spiritual gymnastics go on to try to explain those things and make them fit a theology rather than having a little place in our theology that says, but yet he's still God and I don't fully understand him. It's okay to say that. It's okay to say, listen, I know his character. I know his nature. I know his promises to me. And this is what I believe. But he's still God. And there's things about him that I can't understand or explain to you. But neither can you to me. So let's just agree that we're both on a journey of discovering who he is. And let's not throw out what's clearly said in the process. So these men, now Philip was filled with the Spirit of God. He's the one who said to Jesus, show us the Father. He's one of the originals. And they, Jesus said, if you see me, you've seen the Father. Have I been with you so long that you don't know that? He's one of the originals. He was one of the ones Jesus said, go to the upper room and wait and don't leave there until the Holy Spirit comes who was baptized in the Spirit with the original people that were filled with the Spirit the first time that it happened, that were baptized in the Spirit the first time it happened. He goes and preaches the Gospel of Jesus Christ. They believe the Gospel. They believe in Jesus Christ. He baptizes them into Jesus Christ. They're now born again, new creations. They've received the Spirit of God inside of them because everybody who is in Christ was baptized by the Spirit into Christ and was made to drink of or filled with that same Spirit. It's real clear. But yet the disciples say, okay, there's something that they're missing. Let's send Peter and John. Why Peter and John? I don't know. Why couldn't Philip? I have no idea. But they sent Peter and John. Why does it include these details in the Bible? I think it's so that we don't get such a comfortable theology that we have an answer for everything so that we can look at it and say, I have no idea why Philip didn't lay his hands on him. I have no idea why they didn't, weren't baptized with the Holy Spirit when they were born again at that moment. And I have no idea why they had to send two disciples from a long ways away to go there to lay hands on them and receive the Spirit of God. But that's what the Scripture says, so that's what I believe. So simple to just stand on that. You say, this is what the Word of God says. Let that be the judge of what we believe, rather than us be the judge of what the Word of God says by what we believe. Otherwise, we start twisting things. Okay, Acts chapter 19. It happened that while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul passed through the upper country and came to Ephesus and found some disciples. He said to them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they said to him, no, we have not even heard there was a Holy Spirit. There is the Holy Spirit. And he said to them, into what then were you baptized? See, it's, it's John's belief that if you've been baptized into Christ for any period of time, these guys were disciples, meaning they'd been followers. 
that you should have the baptism of the Holy Spirit. So when they say no, he looks at them and says, well then, what were you baptized into? You know how offended we would be today if we asked somebody that same question? They said, no, I didn't even know there was that. And we just kind of stepped back and looked at them and said, hmm, then what, what were you baptized into? You talk about needing counseling. There'd be so much of, and, and it would all be self-projected. Why are you, what are you judging me? What do you, what do you think you're special? You have something I don't. All this stuff. And it's like, why not be humble and just answer the question? Thank God they did. They said, no, we've not even heard there is a Holy Spirit. And he says to them, into what then were you baptized? They said, into John's baptism. Paul said, John baptized with the baptism of repentance, telling the people to believe in him, uppercase, who was coming after him, that is Jesus. So they believed in Jesus, repented, they would change the way that they thought, asked, you know, this, uh, saw the, the, the sin in their life and their need for a Savior. They were baptized by belief in Jesus, um, into belief in Jesus. And he says, when they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul laid his hands upon them, the Holy Spirit came on them, and they began speaking with tongues and prophesying. They were in all about twelve men. So here we see it happening. People didn't understand. They get baptized into Jesus. Now the Spirit of God is baptizing them into Christ. They are filled, made to drink immediately at that point with the Spirit of God. They're no longer the Spirit of this world inside of them. The Spirit of God comes inside of them. And then when Paul lays hands on them, they receive the Spirit of God and begin to speak in other tongues or speak in tongues and prophesy. But we don't say, are you baptized with the Holy Spirit with the evidence of speaking in tongues and prophesying? It's just the one. If we're going to have one. Because we've made the original disciples, which, and to be truthful, we'll get to that in a second. Okay, so... So now, here's an even crazier one. Acts 10. I should have had these in order. That's why I'm a, I'm a preacher, not a teacher. A teacher would have had them in chronological order so that you don't have to go left, right, left, right. But that's not me. Acts chapter 10, verse 44. While Peter was still speaking these words, what was he speaking? He was preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. This was to the household of Nathaniel who came to him and asked him if he would come and, and share with them what God was doing. While Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit fell upon all those who were listening to the message. All the circumcised believers who had come with Peter were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out upon the Gentiles also. For they were hearing them speaking speaking with tongues and exalting God. Then Peter answered, Surely no one can refuse the water for these to be baptized who have received the Holy Spirit just as we did, can he? And he ordered them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Then they asked him to stay on for a few days. I bet they did. <laughs> so let's take what we believe in our theology of what it looks like to be baptized in the Holy Spirit, born again, all that stuff, and let's let this just come down and crush that. Yeah. Because they hear the message of, of the cross of Jesus, yet they have not been baptized yet they haven't repented and been born again yet. They may have in their hearts repented and understood, holy smokes, we need this. Wow. I'm a sinful man. 
and he died for my sins. In their hearts, they may have the work of repentance may have started, but they haven't been baptized yet. And the Holy Spirit falls on them. And then the, the, the discussion is had between the people who there were, who were believers who had been baptized and then received the Holy Spirit. And they say, well, we can't refuse them water to be baptized, can we? Now that they, they've received the gift of the Holy Spirit the same as we had. And now they get baptized in water into, the, into Christ. So for the whole, well, first you get born again, and then the secondary baptism of the Holy Spirit is how it works. Be real careful that you don't say, unless it doesn't. Because we've just seen three totally different experiences, and every one of them is in the Word of God. The only common denominator in all of these is this. They were baptized in the Spirit. Something happened. All right, now go to Luke chapter 1. And here, we'll let this one just, whatever's left of it. Luke chapter 1, verse 13. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zacharias, for your petition has been heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son. And you will give him the name John. He will have great joy and gladness, and you will rejoice on the earth, for he will be great in the sight of the Lord, and he will drink no wine or liquor, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit while yet in his mother's womb. Now, Now, that can't mean that he was born again in his mother's womb. Otherwise, he would have been born perfect the way Jesus was, spotless without blemish. Something a little different was going on here. What? I don't know. I don't know, but it's not normal. And I'm not going to try to come up with an explanation just because I don't understand exactly what that means. I just know that it doesn't mean that he was born again in the womb because before you were born even though that you were conceived in sin, if that happened, you were born perfect, spotless, upright, without reproach, and filled by the Spirit of God. In other words, you, you were a new creation when you came out of the womb and in no need of actual repentance because that work was done while you were in the womb. But John said to Jesus, I need you to baptize me. I don't know. And so... Let's be careful that we don't make either the Corinthians 12 thing of, well, when you get born again, you get filled with the Spirit, yep. But let's make sure that that doesn't exclude the fact that the disciples were filled with the Spirit, and many people were filled with the Spirit, baptized into Christ, and then received the baptism of the Holy Spirit, and He fell upon them, and the power of God came over them. And let's make sure that we don't say that if it happens, you will speak in tongues. And if you don't speak in tongues, that it didn't happen because we're about to go through another tour of the Bible just to make sure that we don't get hung up on that. All right. Here's the original that we take that from. Acts chapter 2, verse 1. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. 
all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. All right. So here's the original time that this happens in the New Covenant. And they're gathered together. The Holy Spirit comes. Jesus said they would be baptized. Luke writes filled, meaning what? That a lot of times the same word that was used for baptized would be used as filled, that they're interchangeable, which is probably why John was baptized by the Holy Spirit. That word filled there, same word as the disciples when they were filled in, in the upper room. So maybe John was filled or baptized with the Holy Spirit while in the womb, but not actually filled, made to drink of the Holy Spirit and born again while in the womb because those words are used interchangeably. That's the best explanation I have. And it says in Acts, uh, later on in verse 6, it says, When they heard the sound, a crowd came to get together in bewilderment because each one heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, Aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in our native language? Parthians, Medes, Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, and Asia, Pergia, and Pamphylia, and, and Egypt, and parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs. We hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. What was happening here? The Spirit of God came upon them, and one of the gifts that the Spirit brings is the ability to speak in other tongues. And we've reduced that to praying in the Spirit or the kind of tongues that needs an interpretation in front of people. But oftentimes what this means is that you need to communicate the gospel truth to someone that doesn't speak the same language as you. And the Holy Spirit of God will give you the ability without you even realizing it oftentimes to be able to speak that language so that someone can hear and receive the gospel. And that's what was happening right there. They said there was a bunch of people from all over the place. and They said, wait a minute. I hear that one speaking, and I hear that one speaking, and I hear that one speaking, and he's speaking my language, and he's speaking his language, and, and he's speaking her, and she's speaking his, and, 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 and she's speaking hers, and he's speaking... How is this happening? I don't know. It's the Spirit of God. God loves people. God really, really, really loves people. He really, really loved all those who were gathered there and wanted to make sure that they heard the gospel. And so the Spirit of God comes upon them, baptizes them, or fills them, whichever word you want to use, because Jesus said baptized, Luke said filled. And they begin to speak another language as the Spirit gave them utterance. So now we've taken that, if we're not careful, and we say, okay, so this is what it looks like. You go somewhere, you pray, the Spirit of God comes. We, we cut out the wind and tongues of fire thing. You'll notice in teachings on that, it doesn't say go in a room and wait till the wind comes and you see a tongue of fire. And if you don't see that, we, we pick and choose which parts we put in there when we make this experience our theology and we teach this exclusively. This is done in some denominations. And so we say, you go somewhere and you wait. You tarry there and you wait and you pray until the Spirit of God comes upon you and you'll know He has when you begin to speak in other tongues. When you begin to speak in tongues. And there's nobody there from a different country to verify that you're actually speaking in another tongue. That's not necessary. And there's no tongue of fire required. And there's no rushing wind required. But there is a requirement that something come out of your mouth that you don't understand. Otherwise, you didn't receive the Spirit of God. Guys, listen, that is pure deception it may happen that way it doesn't have to and when we make one thing one experience our theology we do so at the risk of discarding every other experience that's validated by the word of god and we do so at the risk of making people feel invalidated in their own experience with the word of god 
And suddenly you find people maybe faking something because they really want something so badly and they don't want to feel less than. Guys, if that ever happens in this church where you feel like because you haven't experienced something someone else has that you're less than, please come talk to me. Because if anyone in this church ever does that to you, they will get a very clear communication from us. If something I speak makes you feel that way, make sure it's not just your feelings. The enemy's not using something to make you feel something that's not true. But if I ever, you ever hear me communicate that from my mouth, you come talk to me. Because I promise that's never my heart. It's never our heart in this house. And here's the problem with that. Is that Acts 4.31 says, And when they had prayed, the place where they had gathered together was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak the Word of God with boldness. Luke chapter 1, verse 67. And his father Zacharias was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, saying, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for He has visited us and accomplished redemption for His people. Luke chapter 1, verse 41. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby in her womb leaped, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit and she cried out with a loud voice and said, Blessed are you among women. And blessed is the fruit of your womb. And how has it happened to me that the mother of my Lord would come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby leaped within my womb, in my womb for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what had been spoken to her by the Lord. So here we have people who are filled with the Spirit and give a word of exhortation. We have people who are filled with the Spirit and prophesy. We have people who are filled with the Spirit and begin to speak the Word of God with great boldness. And if you really want something to shatter what's left of our theology of all this stuff, go to the Old Testament in the chapter 31 of, uh, of Exodus, and you see that there was a man named, um, named Bezalel, who was the son of Uni, who was filled with the Spirit and filled with wisdom, understanding, knowledge, and craftsmanship of all type. And he was able to make things out of gold and silver and cut gemstones and craft things out of wood. When is the last time you heard someone say, born again, filled with the Holy Spirit, with the evidence of building an amazing box? <laughs> you ever heard that one? Oh, really? You're filled with the Spirit? Oh, you got baptized with the Spirit? You're filled with the Spirit? Make something. <laughs> Prove it. But we'll do that with tongues if we're not careful. Why? Because if we're not careful, we'll try to make everything a formula and we'll forget that He's a Father to be loved by, not a formula to be figured out. I'm serious. Can you imagine that? Like if you met people and you were talking to them, you're like, have have you been baptized with the Holy Spirit, filled with the Holy Spirit? And they were like, yeah. And you'd be like, awesome. I have a diamond that is rough and I need it to be cut. And I understand that you people, when you're filled with the Spirit, that you have the ability to cut gemstones. Wouldn't that sound weird? You would look at them like, huh? Yeah, I have this little box I made. And I understand that you people who are filled with the Spirit have been given the ability to work with silver and gold and craftsmanship of wood. I would love to commission you to build me this box. And the guy who's a baker is looking at you going, dude, I, 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 I don't know how to work with wood. Well, you're filled with the Spirit. And I read in the Bible there was a time where it said that a guy was filled with the Spirit and that he had the ability to do all of that stuff. Are you sure you're filled with the Spirit? That sounds so whacked when we're talking about crafting things out of wood and silver and gold and gemstones. But somehow, that with the evidence of speaking in tongues or 
so do you speak in tongues, has become the hallmark of the filling of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And it doesn't sound quite as weird, and we're not laughing when I say that. Maybe it's time for us to unlearn and let the Word of God shape what we believe rather than what a man's told us, rather than your friend's experience. Because sharing our experiences is awesome, but if that becomes the standard, it's not awesome. Here is something that did happen, though. Go to your Bibles, Luke chapter 11. Jesus is teaching his disciples. And sometimes when Jesus is teaching, he he gives this big story and all this stuff, and then at the very end, he just kind of lets us know what he was talking about. And this is one of those cases. It says, Then he said to them, Suppose one of you has a friend, and goes to him at midnight and says to him, Friend, lend me three loaves. For a friend of mine has come to me from a journey, and I have nothing to set before him. You notice the honor there? You notice that if people have friends show up, they actually want to go out of their way, get out of their bed at midnight, and put something out for them because they actually honor them? What if we begin to value each other that way, where it wasn't just when it was convenient for us, but even if it wasn't the most convenient thing, we thought, man, if they want to honor us with their presence, we're going to honor them by having something to set before them even if it means I have to do something inconvenient and go ask my neighbor at midnight for three loaves. Instead of saying, well, I mean, they traveled all this way. Obviously, they knew that they were going to have to eat. I'm sure they ate before they got here. Hospitality is a gift. If you want it, ask him for it. If you don't, ask him why you're home. And from inside, he answers and says, Do not bother me. The door has been already shut. My children and I are in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. What's he saying? Go away. We don't heat our whole house. We heat our little room that we sleep in. And we've already shut that door. All the heat that we have is contained within here. My children are in bed. In other words, we're all in bed together, and the blankets that we have are over us. Our body heat is already accumulating. Our room is already warmed. I don't want to get up and inconvenience myself and lose all that we've worked for just to give you something that your friends should have thought of before they came on the journey. Maybe. I know he for sure didn't want to lose all the heat. He says, I tell you, even though he will not get up and give him something because he's his friend. He didn't say he's not his friend. He said, that's, the re- that's not the reason he's giving it to him. Even though he won't get up and give him something because he's his friend, yet because of his persistence, he will get up and give him as much as he needs. Yeah. What's he saying? Not that they're not friends. He's saying that's not the reason he's doing it. Jesus said, I call you friends. Remember that. So I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. What, what, coming, remember, we have this broken up sometimes in our Bibles as if Jesus like stopped, paused, walked off somewhere else and started a brand new teaching. This is straight off. He said, so I say to you what? So I say to you, after just telling you that hey, even if you don't receive it because you're a friend, if you are persistent, you will. 
So I'm telling you in the same way, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. Everyone who asks one time and then says, well, if God wants me to have it, He already knows. And He told me not to pray with vain repetition like the Pharisees, so I've already asked for it once. I'm ready. He knows my heart. And if He wants me to have it, I will. That's not what Jesus said. Jesus says right after saying, if you're persistent, even if He doesn't want to get up and give you something at that moment, your persistence will cause Him to give it not because He's your friend, but because of your persistence. Not because of the goodness of His heart, which thank God God is better than our friend that's sleeping in the bed. But not because of that, but because of your persistence. And He says, for I say to you, everyone who asks receives, and he who seeks finds. What does that mean I looked once and I didn't see it, so God knows what I'm looking for, and I tried to find it, and if He wants me to find it, then He'll bring it to me? No. He said, if you seek it, you'll find it. If you haven't found it, keep seeking. Right. Amen. Well, go sit home and say, well, I mean, think about, just, just think about the logic of that. Like, if, if your wife was walking out in the parking lot with you, if you're married, and if not, if your friend who is married was walking in the parking lot with you, and they were walking, and they went to wave bye to somebody, and they went, oh my gosh, my wedding ring just fell off. And it flew into the grass. Would you walk over there and go, okay, I'm going to look once. You sure it was right here? Yep, okay. Well, I didn't find it. But God knows that we want to find that ring, so let's go home, and if God wants us to have it, He obviously knows we want it because we looked for it. He'll bring it to our house. That would sound so foolish, and people would look at you and be like, for real? Maybe we should just keep looking. Because there's a promise that if we seek something, we'll find it. Maybe we should just keep seeking. He who seeks finds. And to him who knocks, that friend at the door, it will be opened the first time. Didn't say that. In fact, it doesn't say how many times he knocked and asked. He said because of his persistence, he will get up and give him as much as he needs. You know why it doesn't say how many times he asks? Because we would reduce that to a formula and we'd say, well, you have to ask four times. On the fourth time, that's when God will do it. We would do that. Not us. I'm talking to the podcast people. They love making formulas. They do. Those podcasters, man. They are formula people, but not us in this room. But if he said, and he knocked four times, and on the fourth time his friend arose, we would say, okay, so if you want something from God, you have to ask him four times, and on the fourth time you can expect to receive. Jesus purposely didn't say how many times because he didn't want it to be a formula. He just wanted it to be a principle. We're so quick to try to make formulas, and he was so quick to make principles. What was his principle? If you don't get it the first time you ask, just keep, because if you're persistent, you will receive. Okay, so now that we're on the same page, now he goes... Now, suppose one of you fathers is asked by his son for a fish. What? Don't worry. He's still talking about the same thing. He will not give him a snake instead of a fish, will he? Or if he's asked for an egg, he'll not give him a scorpion, will he? If you then, being evil, in other words, he's talking to people who are not born again, still have the spirit of this world inside of them, in desperate need of a Savior, wicked, having a heart of stone, have not received yet the heart of flesh, that he promised he would come and give them. 
Listen, don't settle for, well, you know, the heart of man is deceitful and wicked, and who can know it without settling for the rest of the prophecy that later says, and I will take from them their heart of stone, and I will give them a new heart, a heart of flesh, and I'll write my law upon their heart, and their heart will be to know me. Don't accept, well, you know, you were just like sheep wandering astray without receiving the Peter saying, but you were like sheep constantly wandering astray, but now you have returned even to our Savior and our Lord and our God. So you've got to be careful that you don't take the one that's been your experience and then quote that to everybody as if that's the reason why and say, well, you know, the Bible says we're all prone to wander like sheep. It does. And then in Peter, he's talking to people who are born again. He says, you were prone to wander, but now you have returned to our Savior and our Lord. And we sing, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Right? Why don't we sing, I've returned, Lord, you've received me, or something like that, right? We're going to cut that from the podcast, because it's unedited. (laughs) Now listen, though, but, but why do we sing the one without understanding, believing, and singing the other? Because we always want to take our experience, find a scripture that justifies it, and then keep ourselves in a place of not changing and saying, well, the word even says. I think Paul would look at you and go, Have you not read what Peter wrote? For you were formerly prone to wander, but now you have returned. So I think it's okay for us sometimes when people give us an answer that's unbiblical to look at them like Paul did and say, well, then. not mean, not arrogantly, not rudely, but in love. What were you baptized into? Well, you know, I'm a Christian, but I just don't. And then they list all these things that Jesus said you would if you were a Christian. It might be okay to just scratch your head and look at them and say, "Um, where did you get your definition of Christian? Not rudely. Believing this. You may never talk to that person again. And if you don't actually give them truth when they're presenting you with a lie that's allowing them to live less than Jesus died... And you just give them some answer like, yeah, well, you know, we're all human, bro. (laughs) Wait a minute. Don't laugh. Because the Bible says that you will give account for every idle word spoken. What is an idle word? It has no power. Everything you spoke to people that had no power, you'll be responsible for. Meaning what? You're not going to be asked, hey, why did you talk about basketball? That's not what he's talking about. But he's saying when there's a truth that could be spoken and you give somebody less than truth, you're going to have to answer for that. Now, you'll feel the pain and regret and the remorse of that, and then he'll wipe away every tear. You'll enter into eternity where there is no tear, there is no sorrow. But there will be a time, I believe, for every person born again where we stand before the judgment seat of Christ and we see the things that we could have had, the things we missed out on, the opportunities that we didn't take. And we'll feel that sorrow, and then he'll come and wipe away every tear, and we'll enter into eternity with him. It has to because he says he's going to wipe away every tear. And he said in this world there is sorrow. He said he was a man acquainted with sorrows. We should be like, you know, we're going to feel sorrow in this world. That's okay. It's not when you get born again he wipes away every tear. It's before you enter into the kingdom which he's prepared. And I believe that those tears which can't be cried in heaven will be cried in the time between as we see what we missed out on. That's not a threat. That's not condemnation. That's saying, man, Maybe we could live in a way where we don't have to stand there and have a bunch of regret and tears. 
Because if he's wiping them away, he means we were never meant to cry them. Meaning what? Meaning every opportunity you find yourself in the Spirit of God that's within you has what you need to be able to answer them. He says, don't you worry about what you say for on that day, I will give you the words. I will, if you'll open your mouth, I will fill it with words. When Moses said, I can't speak, God said, I'll speak for you. I just need you to be obedient. I don't know how to answer everybody. That's okay, he does. You just got to be willing to answer. And if you don't have an answer from him, make sure you don't give them one from you. That's an idle word. Where are we at? I'm serious. Oh, yeah. Keep knocking, keep seeking. Okay, so he says, Now suppose one of you fathers who's asked by his son for a fish, he will not give him a snake instead of a fish, will he? Or if he's asked for an egg, he will not give him a scorpion, will he? What's he saying? He's saying, You guys who are fathers who are not born again, who do not have the heart that my father does, who aren't perfect love like my father is, if your children ask you for something that will actually sustain them and bring life to them, you're not going to give them something harmful that will bring death. Some, I, I've been told by someone, oh, I'm just afraid to ask God you know, and open myself up because I'm afraid that it might be deceived and it might not be the Holy Spirit and I might hear. He just said right here, you don't have to fear about that ever. Right. If you're asking him for, well, he didn't say yet, but he's about to. <laughs> if you then being evil know how to give good gifts to your children, if you then being evil fathers who are not perfect love like my father, when your children ask you for something that's life-giving and brings life to them, won't give them something that's harmful and brings death, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? What's this whole thing about? He just told us. I mean, it's a principle you can apply to everything, but what's the thing that Jesus, the context that Jesus Himself actually gave? For knock, seek, ask. For be persistent. For not receiving evil when you ask for something good. All this stuff, all this teaching is tied in to the context of your Father will give you the Holy Spirit if you will ask. Alright, we're going to the rest of it we're going to go into of the filling, the continual filling and all that stuff. We'll talk about that next Sunday, if that's what God wants us to talk about. At some point, we'll talk about it. Um, next Sunday's Easter, so we may get into some some other stuff just for a Sunday. It is Easter next Sunday, right? It is Palm Sunday this summer. Yeah, okay. I'm just making sure. Well, look, we don't always preach. I mean, Easter, we usually get it right. <laughs> that we don't always preach. With our, our preaching calendar, God's preaching calendar, apparently doesn't always line up with our holiday calendar because sometimes we don't preach the message of that holiday on the holiday. I hope that's okay. I just have to be obedient and do what he's telling me to do. Uh, but we'll probably will end on Easter next week because it's the gospel. It's the greatest thing you could ever preach, and it's really, really good news. And because on Easter, there's a lot of people who don't come to church every Sunday that will come to church on Easter. If they need to hear one thing, it's about the one who gave his life for them and the ability to have a relationship with the eternal God that it offered. So you'll hear that next week, I promise. So will they. Bring your friends. Tell them. We'll open up the doors. We'll, we'll load the foyer up with people. And we will make sure that every person that comes here knows how loved they are by the Father and the opportunity they have. But this is what I want to close with right here. And I'll just I'll close up with this and we'll, fit, we'll finish the rest of it off. There's only one formula in this whole teaching that we've given today. One. And that's it. Ask Him. Keep asking Him. And at some point, you will receive. 
That's the only formula that Jesus offered. So I know that in this room, there's probably a lot of people who have heard a lot of different teachings. And I'm certainly not saying I understand everything, but I am saying the Bible speaks pretty clearly about all this stuff. And even the stuff I don't understand, it still speaks clearly about. I just haven't got the revelation that it carries yet. And I'm just praying for it. But I understand enough to know this. If we were going to, as a church, make a formula or make a theological statement, we would have to exclude a bunch to make it a one kind of experience and make that the standard and say that's how it happens for everybody. And we would do so at risk of omitting some of the words that were written in the Bible because they were inconvenient to our one-liner. We won't ever do that here. Here's what we will do. We'll say this. It's very evident that every person in the book of Acts that you read about Jesus wanted, God wanted, the Father wanted, the Spirit wanted to be filled, to be born again, and to be baptized with the power of God by the Holy Spirit. That's evident because it happened for everyone. Some of them got it before they were baptized into Christ. Some of them got it after they were baptized in Christ. And some of them got it later when someone laid hands on them and they received something they didn't get when they were baptized. Any of those things could happen to any person in this room. There's one thing that should happen at some point in your life. You should be baptized with the Holy Spirit, with the power of God. And here's the other thing. Nobody's life was the same after they were baptized. There was some kind of expression of the power of God being on their life. Whether they began to declare the Word of God boldly. Whether they began to prophesy. Whether they spoke in other tongues. Whether they were filled with great joy where they prophesied and spoke in tongues. To pick one and make that the way excludes all the others. So here's what we're going to do. Is I'm just going to invite you, and listen, this, this is, when we, it would be so much better right now to do this if we talked about the rest of this stuff, which is that there's not just a one time being filled because it talks about the disciples many times being filled. Listen, I mean, all right, I'll give up some of it real quick just so that everyone understands. I can't help it. It's that good. Says, it says Acts, uh, in, chapter, in Acts chapter uh, 4, verse 31, it says, And when they were, had prayed, this is the disciples who were originally filled with the Holy Spirit, the same ones. When they had prayed, the place where they had gathered together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak the Word of God with boldness. It says they were filled with the Spirit. That word filled there comes from a Greek word which is pleru, which means to make replete or replenish, to cram, level up, or to furnish, and there's a note there that says, pleru means abundantly supplied, and it's not generally accepted as a synonym, synonym for complete or completion. Acts 13, uh, chapter 13, verse 52, and the disciples were continually filled with joy and the Holy Spirit. Receiving the joy of the Lord is not a one-time event. It's a continual thing. That's why David prayed in the Old Covenant, restore to me the joy of my salvation. Why? He had great joy in his salvation and somewhere along the way his joy had faded and he wanted it restored. It's a continual filling of joy. It's also a continual filling of the Holy Spirit. It's not a one-time thing. Why? Because it was never meant to be contained. It was always meant to be poured out. And he provides seed to the sower. In other words, as the Spirit flows out of you, more Spirit flows into you. And if it's a one-time filling, then that means that you're probably not doing much that allows what was filled in you that one time because it means to replenish. In other words, something that was there that is now gone is refilled. 
That's what that means. So, when the day of Pentecost had come, they were all together in one place, and suddenly there came from heaven a noise like a violent rushing wind, and it filled, it plerued the whole house where they were sitting. Just This is the easiest way to think of it. How does wind fill a room? It continually blows. You open those doors, you open that door, and you allow the wind to, from the outside to come flowing in. The wind from outside could fill this room. The minute you shut those doors, the wind stops blowing. The room is no longer filled with the wind. There's no longer wind. Winds means wind means air in motion. It's not something that can be contained. You can't take a jar and jar wind. Once you jar it and it's no longer moving, it's no longer wind, it's air. Well, that same word there that talks about being filled with the Holy Spirit is used to mean filled the room. In other words, what? Once that thing started blowing, it had to continually blow to keep filling the room. Once you're filled with the Spirit of God, you have to continually be filled to stay filled. Because it doesn't mean filled to complete. It doesn't mean completion. It means a continual replenishing. A continual filling. So here's what I I would love for us to do. I know of one formula, and we're not going to do it right here in front of everybody because then some people will wonder if something doesn't happen to them, what did they miss it, or something like that. I know the pressure that comes with that. I want to ask us this week, because church is not what we do in here for two hours, right? right? And, and, and we're not just Christians here, and then we go out back to our daily lives and forget about what we talked about on Sunday, and then Sunday we remember what we talked about last Sunday, and we try to get back on board. I'm asking us during this week to do what Jesus said. To A, believe that he actually wants to give the Spirit without measure. It says, for he who supplies the Spirit supplies him without measure. In other words, you didn't receive your measure of Holy Spirit. Okay, so if we believe that, then there's another part of the Bible we have to believe where it says, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives freely and liberally to all men. But when that man asks, he must believe that he will have what he asks for. Well, it, that's not just a principle for wisdom. That goes for everything that God offers that you have to ask in faith. Otherwise, you're double-minded. In other words, you're asking for something, but you don't really believe he wants to give it. So you don't really believe that he's good. The whole reason you're asking him is because you believe he's good in the beginning. So now it says that you're a double-minded man, unstable in all your ways. Let that man expect to receive nothing of the Lord. So let's apply that same principle to asking for the Holy Spirit, and let's apply the principle that Jesus taught, which was if you keep on asking, you keep on knocking, you keep on seeking, you will receive, it will be opened, you will find. Let's just in our time alone with him, just say, God, regardless of what I've experienced up to this point, I know there's more. And if I have any thinking, if there's any thinking, listen, if stuff we talk today contradicts maybe theology that you've grown up with or heard or believed, and you say, you know what, I have believed something that wasn't complete. I believed a truth, but not the truth. Let that change. Repent. Change the way you think. So repentance means metanoia. Change the way that you think. Let it change the way that you think so that you don't continue to think something that is a truth is the truth. And let the truth replace a truth. And say, God, here's the prayer that I'm praying. And I've been praying this for a long time and I'm going to continue to pray and I'm going to pray earnestly with you guys this week. Father God, I want every bit of everything that you have for me. And I want more. I want to be filled with your spirit, God. I want to experience everything that I can experience. I don't want to live off someone else's story. I want to write my own because of your life lived in me. And don't just pray it once and then say, well, if God wants me to have it, he'll have it because I asked him because Jesus said, no, no, no. 
He may say no the first time. In other words, you may not hear an answer. Like Zach was talking about earlier. It says, Daniel prayed, and when the angel came to him, he said, Daniel, from the day your prayer was heard on high, I was dispatched from heaven. But the prince of Persia rose up and opposed me for 21 days until Michael stepped in and I was able to come. What was he saying? The answer was given. I was sent and dispatched the first time that you prayed, but 21 days later, you still hadn't received your answer. But it didn't mean that God had an answer. It just means the answer hadn't received you yet. You haven't received the answer yet. And you know what I firmly believe? It says for 21 days, Daniel stayed fixed in that position. He kept his fast and he continually prayed. Meaning what? He didn't give up, go back to his house and say, well, I prayed once. If God wants me to have it, I guess I will. And I'll just wait for it to come. And I honestly believe there's something to the fact that he maintained faith for what he prayed for and didn't move when he didn't see it the first day, the second day, the 20th day that allowed him to receive what it was that he was asking God for. Because Jesus said, if you keep asking, you keep knocking, keep seeking, it will be given, it will be opened, you will find. Don't be discouraged in the waiting. Be excited in the waiting, believing firmly that there's something greater coming. Because there's always more. Always. Father God, I ask that we would be so hungry for more of Your Spirit in our lives, God. That those of us who would say, like the people in, in, the, in the book of Acts, we didn't even know there was this thing, would have our eyes open to something we didn't even realize was available, and we would ask for it and continue to ask, believing that You will give because You're a good Father. Believing that what we receive will be from You, and it will bring life and nourishment to us and those around us, not something that causes harm. There'll be no scorpions, there'll be no snakes. God, I pray that if we have believed that there was one expression and because we didn't have that expression, we didn't have something, we were lacking something, God, that we would allow the water of Your Word to wash our minds of that thinking and that we would understand that You said that we would receive and that the manifestation that's given to us is the confirmation that we've received what it is we're asking for and the continual filling of Your Spirit, God, is the proof that You really do what You say that You would do. God, for those of us who'd say we have received, I've been baptized in the Holy Spirit, I've filled, whatever word we want to use. This is a scary thing because listen to me real quick. Because you can make a one-time experience make you think that you have everything that you were supposed to have. And that experience might have been totally valid. You may have been filled with the Spirit. may have even had a manifestation of the Spirit occur. And then you walk away and believe that you have the fullness of what that means without realizing that it was supposed to be a continual filling. And you can actually get satisfied with something that happened a long time ago and believe that that experience is a one-time thing rather than a continual filling. So for those of us maybe who fall in that category or for those of us who are walking in it and saying, look, I'm, I'm baptized filled with the Spirit and I see God in my life. I've experienced His power. For those of us that are there, let's just pray this prayer. God, would You continue to fill us even greater levels? Would You continue to just fill us with Your Holy Spirit? God, show us places where we can pour out believing that You want to give seed to the sower. Believing that You want to give the Spirit without measure. God, that we were never meant to be full. We were always meant to be filled. And I thank You for that. In Jesus' name, Amen. Would you guys do that with me this week? Yeah? I'm excited to see what happens if we actually will do that and take the words of Jesus and believe them and apply them to our lives and let what the Bible says crush anything that a man said that opposes it. If you have any questions, I'll be happy to talk to you during the week and get a hold of me. You can email the website, info at outreachchurch.net. It kicks it to my email address and I'd love to discuss anything with you that 
that would pop up, or we have Tom Snyder's one of our elders. He's great at answering questions like that from the Word. Or There's a lot of people here who could. Um, but if you have questions or anything specifically, you're more than welcome to ask. And at some point soon, we'll have a Q&A, and you guys will have an opportunity during church to be able to ask questions. Because I don't ever want to leave here thinking, wow, I smoked that. If they didn't get that, they just aren't going to get it. We need to have opportunity to dialogue and say, well, what about this? Or what about that? Or, hey, I have a question about this, okay? Hey, let, let's get rid of the idea that we have of what church should look like, seriously. And let's just be asking God, what does our church look like? What does our church look like? You know, I'm not saying that the churches that don't do that are, are wrong. I'm saying for this house. God, what do you want this expression of your body in Greenville to look like? Be asking him for that vision. Be asking him for more of his spirit. And let's just be excited about what he's doing and what's coming, okay?